And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on, y'all? Welcome in to another edition of the Hold That Podcast. Podcast got a lot on the show today. Uh, We are going to talk about many of the players that have chosen to opt back in Uh, but first and foremost we are going to break down some coaching hires at LSU and some potential coaching hires at LSU as uh, we have news in official capacities. Um, If you're listening to this for the first time I am T-Bob Abair. I host a radio show in Louisiana. Uh, I am joined by Brody Miller who covers the LSU Tigers for the Athletic. Brody what's up dude? Not too much, man. Finally, some uh, coaching news to discuss on the show, and I'm sure we're going to dive into it. Yeah, so uh, what uh, Brody is talking about there, um, a couple of big hires were made. Remember, go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast or sign up deals. Uh, Huge thanks to The Athletic for putting this podcast on. Um, Yes, so as we are recording this part of the pod today, it's January 7th, 2021, and uh, LSU has hired a new offensive coordinator and a new passing game coordinator. That is Jake Peets, the former uh, quarterback coach of the Carolina Panthers, and DJ Mangus. A uh, what? What was his technical title? He's essentially like an NFL. GA. He was offensive assistant. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the same thing that Joe Brady was with the Saints a couple of years ago, and we'll talk a lot of Joe Brady. Uh, because both those guys share a lot of, well, a lot more than connective tissue with Joe Brady. They, we, we may have planted the seeds and watered them and care for them. And we may be looking at the first branches of a potential Joe Brady tree, the first sprouts. <laughs> a 31 year old assistant as a quarterback uh, tree. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then also right now on this Thursday, um, we do know that LSU's top defensive coordinator target, Marcus Freeman, is in town. And uh, we will discuss that as well as Coach O was very upfront on my show earlier this week saying we got our top offensive guys in here Tuesday. We want to land them. They did. And now they have their top defensive guy in here today. Uh, Brody, let's start with the hires themselves. Again, I talked about it uh, all morning long, so I'd like to give you the opportunity to kind of start us off. Uh, where do you want to begin with the Jake Peets and DJ Mangus hire? Well, I think you start with the fact that, okay, one, I think it's a win that, you know, for, I know it sounds overly simplistic, but the idea that Ed O'Shawn knew exactly who he wanted and he got who he wanted, there's something to that. There's the fact that obviously the story goes that, you know, Ed O'Shawn, Derek Ponamski, you know, reached out to Joe Brady, picked his brain about the best people to run LSU's offense of 2019 were, and Jake Peets and DJ Mangus were two of the main people he recommended. But it, it's just, it, it's going to be a really tough one to discuss, in my opinion. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on the matter because it's two people who we'd be talking out of our ass if we pretended to know how good of hires they are. We have not seen Jake Peets play a coach in offense. DJ Mangus even. we Sure, you could go back and watch some William & Mary offenses from 2017 and 2018, but even then, you know, I don't know if I really want to judge him by his 27-year-old self as the youngest coordinator in college football at the time. But, yeah, so it, it's one of those things where we're – I can't pretend to know much, but it is, I think it's important for, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. They are going young. We, you and I have talked so often on the show is, do you want to go young just for the sake of going young? Do you want, are you doing it for the right reasons? And they are pretty much seems like transparently going with the reason of they want to build off this Joe Brady tree. They want to run with it. They even led their statement. Ed Ogeron led his statement with mentioning Joe Brady. I mean, they didn't even like, they're not even like hiding it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but it's like, this could be a dangerous road to go down, but it also could be a massive upside road to go down. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of what you're getting at is exactly what I tried to express this morning is that uh, what's interesting about these hires is there is not a ton of resume 
to be excited about. Um, these are almost like potential hires or hypothetical hires or because uh, really it's all about putting your trust in Joe Brady and whether or not that is the right thing to do. Um, only time will tell again with you. I'm with you. I don't hate the logic. Um, I think football, especially offensively has gone, has evolved so much, even in the past five years, much less the last 10 that I, I, I do like this idea of going after guys who kind of it, it's the Bane from Batman thing, right? They didn't adopt the modern spread. These modern theories, they grew up in it. They were molded by it. You would think that they would be better suited to handling it than uh, a guy like Linehan was. And, and you went with the resume higher last year. Linehan's resume was infinitely better than both of these guys. And uh, it didn't work out for you. So, so there's many stuff, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I like about point, the logic. Yeah. Um, but obviously, for many reasons, there are like pitfalls as well, right? Anytime you're just because you are putting all of your eggs into this Joe Brady basket. And make no mistake, uh, these offensive hires carry the future of LSU in their wake, which is pretty fascinating because uh, to, to, to have such a relatively light resume, but to have that much potential impact on a program like LSU is going to be kind of wild to watch. And when you look, they're stepping into a, a an offense that, as we discuss, uh, will discuss, looks locked and loaded right now with skill positions. If the O-line get figured out what you're kind of doing with getting some guys to uh, return for next season, like the opportunity to be really good immediately, the expectation to be really good immediately is already there. Now, as with any hires, especially ones that have – you know, some obvious drawbacks uh, like this one. I think I've used this analogy before, but it is essentially Schrodinger's hire, right? We don't know at this point if the hire is good or bad. Is the cat alive or dead? And then so you can kind of frame it through whatever you want your mindset to be. And so maybe I'm naive. Maybe I'm being overly optimistic because I did this same thing with the Pelini and Linehan uh, hires. And I convinced myself that they were very good and they ended up being abject disasters, uh, so we'll see, but so I, I, I guess on. from, from what I've seen, I mean, I, I, and because of the logic that was employed, which I actually agree with uh, a lot of it, um, I'm going to choose to fall on the maybe naive and optimistic side, uh, and say that, yeah, I, I, I like these hires. Yeah. And I, I, there's something to clarify because I do think we, both of us are sounding like we're talking about like Jake Peets is this like another unproven young and kind of, this is not like, like this is not the same thing as Joe Brady getting hired in 2019 or especially not like if Joe Brady was hired as offensive coordinator, he was passing coordinator at least. This isn't like that. Jake Peets is like a very lengthy resume and a guy who is more, he's not like boy wonder, like Joe, Joe Brady, who was like, man, this guy's sharp. You got to grab him before you can. It's like, this is a guy who, was on UCLA staff at 24 and then was a Jaguar scout at I think 25 and then became a quarterback coach two different stints under Nick Saban as an analyst at Alabama and then like he's been the Raiders quarterbacks coach under Jack Del Rio with Derek Carr obviously now he's two years with the Carolina Panthers Which, hold on real coach, quick the most coach. shocking part about this stint with the Raiders is that did you realize that Derek Carr made the Pro Bowl three years in a row what? I mean, <laughs> hey, I, I'm there not was even a joking. short moment where we thought Derek Carr was like the dude, like an actual like top five, ten quarterback. And it was like, if he can just get there. And then it was like, wait, he might I, not even I was just kind of blown away because he was assistant quarterback coach and quarterback coach for two of the three years. Uh, but yeah. yeah, like in all of my Pete's research, that more than anything else jumped out to me that Derek Carr was a three time consecutive Pro Bowler, work out Derek Carr, much more respectable career than I was giving him credit for. Yeah, no, I could do a whole thing on the Raiders in this decade. It's kind of fascinating. But anyway, yeah, no, so Pete's is not like just like some scrappy boy wonder you're jumping on because he has like this brain and insight like a Brady. No, no, this is a proven guy who has coached the NFL for more than a decade and knows what he's doing. We don't know if he can call plays, of course, but like I think your floor is not too low here. You know what I mean? Like there's a decent floor here. This guy's a good coach. And I'm mean, okay. I yeah. So you, you're I've, right. You're right. It, it, you, you see, you're saying you don't see it being like an abject disaster, which admittedly, yeah, um, obviously, and that's me correcting Linehan, what I said earlier. I, Linehan was not, like I should not have lumped him in with uh, Pelini either. Linehan may not have been good, but it, like Linehan's worsting was kind of just a general stagnation. It was yeah, just that there was no innovation there. Yeah, and 
and you know, Bruce Feldman, I have a story coming out tomorrow on uh, Friday, I should say, on 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 Pete's and all that. And you know, it's it's interesting. You know, for example, he it's actually some fun ties here. Like he worked with Jerry Sullivan in Jacksonville when Sullivan was the receivers coach, and obviously another LSU staffer there. And, and you know, I talked to Sullivan yesterday about him, and and honestly, I mean, Sullivan's a guy who will flat out tell you if he doesn't think highly of someone, and he has many times to me. And he was pretty open to like, he's like, I think really highly of him. He ke- he kept using the term hands on and he's really hands on as a coach. And granted, he was, he was the first to admit like, yeah, I worked with him when he was like 27, you know, and like he was an assistant, but still he was, he was pretty impressed with him. And he's kept in touch with him a little bit over the years. And you know, he's a guy who like Norm Chow found, uh, took a liking to and, and gave him his real first shot in coaching at UCLA. He's a guy Norv Turner took a liking to and gave a shot. There's a lot in Nick Saban, obviously the connections there. Uh, Doug Nussmeyer, of course, the, the father of Garrett Nussmeyer worked with him at Alabama. You know, there's a, oh. a lot of people he's worked with. And one thing Jerry Sullivan pointed out to me is like, and I didn't know what he meant by this, but I still find it interesting. And he was saying, he's like, one thing to, that's interesting with him is that he has been through a lot of different situations. And he's been in like coaches who are about to get fired. He's been with coaches on the up and coming. He's been with Saban. You know, he's been in a lot of situations and Sullivan was using that as a plus is like, this guy knows how to handle different things. And I just, I don't even know what that means, but I found it really interesting that Jerry Sullivan kind of led with that. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's been in the shit and he, and look, he's coached, yeah, he's yeah. coached a lot of different positions in the NFL. And, and at some point in the past few weeks, me and you were talking and Pete's entered the conversation um, you raised a very good point as well, and you were getting to it before I interrupted you. Uh, but he was the running back coach, obviously, for the Panthers, right? During Chris McCaffrey's great year. Great, you know, that that is what it is. I'm not saying he's responsible for the year, but the key element <laughs> there, yes, 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 exactly. No, the key thing to point out is that a coaching change took place. Matt Rule, I think a coach that a lot of us respect, right? His opinion. Yeah. Matt Rule comes in, and not only does he retain Pete's. But then him and Joe Brady make him the quarterback's coach. And as you pointed out, like all position coaches' jobs are not uh, created equal, right? That That's a lot more responsibility, especially when you're launching this new offense and you invest money in Teddy Bridgewater. I just think that that's a good uh, kind of – I don't think anecdotal is the right word, but that's just kind of a good um, sign of how his peers view him uh, and, and what he's capable of. And, you know, one thing it's worth pointing out that's kind of, you know, he first off, that's exactly what I heard. I talked to some people who covered him with the Panthers. And, yeah, they're like, he's somebody who came to Carolina and just immediately kind of endeared himself and the players loved him. And that was, I think, probably, like you said, a big part of, you know, getting that promotion. And, you know, I, I heard that it's, it's interesting. I heard that when he was in that interview with Ogeron, you know, I think Ogeron, to some extent, was kind of expecting like a, a Joe Brady like personality. And, you know, and, and that's a reasonable thing to think. And that wasn't what he got. You know, Jake Pete's has six kids, you know, like he's a grown up, even though he's 37 and he's been at all these stops. It's not Wonder Boy coming in like, you know, and and he was like he had a different presence about him is kind of what I was told. And that yeah. he kind of, you know, has a bit more. I'm not maturity makes it sound like I'm saying one isn't, but he has a maturity to him. And I think that was kind of, bro. Interesting, if you man. got six kids, you're different than the 30 year old who doesn't, it has nothing like, yeah, it's not, it's not bit. like, yeah. it's not like maturity, whatever. Uh, it, it just is what it is. That man is living a completely different life than Joe Brady <laughs> found, is right now. And I found this part really interesting and I'll, I'll let you take over from here, but he also apparently kind of mentioned in his interview that like, he said, I've, I've been around four different first time play callers. I have seen that, that thing up close. So I know the challenges and dynamics of it and the, you know, all that. And I find that so interesting that, that he's conscious of that, you know, that he's thinking about that because he is a guy who it seems like has kind of taken his time and made sure to align himself with the right people and learn the lessons, which is something I always kind of admire in people, not just coaches. So, yeah, I, I think it's a move where the floor doesn't seem that low. I think Jake Peets will be a good coach. It's whether or not he's a, a brilliant play caller, whether or not he's a, even a step above Ensminger, because Ensminger was no slouch. That's the only part that is unknown but really interesting. Yeah, and, and let's be clear about that. They do have a high bar to live up to because, again, if you look on balance just at recent LSU history, combined with the context of what happened personnel-wise this year, the offensive staff did not do a bad job at all. Uh, it's just that they didn't do a great job. Uh, and 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 the expectations for these guys, for these two young cats, will be to do a great job. So Pete's great as point. the OC. Um, I also do like – I didn't know he said that. I, I'm with you, Brody. I like him kind of acknowledging 
uh, his main weakness, like out the gate, right, and, and not shying away yeah. from it, not trying to just kind of brashly say like, "Oh, well, I'll, I, I know what I'm doing." No, like being like, "No, I've actually seen this. I've, I've, I've thought about it, and so I do. You know, I've engaged in this. I do have like a critically thought out plan for it." Um, what do you think about DJ Mangus as the passing game corner? He uh, has a bit more Wunderkin about him, not necessarily that he's made his own name, but just because he is really, uh, really young. Yeah, and you know, here's why I do, I guess, approve is a weird choice of words, but like this hire is the sense that when Brady left, his name was almost, I don't, I don't think else you ever like genuinely considered it, but like he was a name that people were throwing around almost the way they are Russ Callaway this year is like, a, oh, he's a Brady guy. He's been an offensive coordinator. Like make him pass game coordinator is like, you know, he's an up and comer and maybe he needed more time. And I don't know if he's ready yet, but he at least does fit that kind of thing. And. Like we said, he was offensive coordinator at William Marriott. Was it 27 or 28? But he was the youngest coordinator in F- in college football history. And quite frankly, what did not do well. I mean, I, I, think, I think we need to make that clear. I mean, he was part of the end of the Jimmy Laycock era, William and Mary, you know, and, and his last year, I think they were second to last in total offense. So, I mean, he, he went through his growing pains of William Mary. Like that part needs to be clear. But still, you also should not be judged too harshly on how good you are at a dream type job at 28 years old. You yeah, know? And, and I, he probably learned a lot from it. Then he went to LSU, followed his guy, Brady, who obviously they played together at William and Mary and are good friends. And, and, you know, I think he learned a lot that year. Well, once the NFL learned a lot from that avenue. Now he's somebody who has both failed as a coordinator, seen elite success in college, seen elite success, not elite, but good, like seen fo- good football in the NFL. And, you know, comes here and still isn't too much pressure on him. He's the passing game coordinator, but he's a sharp guy, a smart guy, a charming guy, and a guy who I think uh, could could really grow into the role, which is also important, right? Because it's always worth pointing out with these things. Jake Peets, for example, he's 37, right? And when you're younger, the hype around you builds. And if Jake Peets thrives year one, like if he does, if he just knocks it out of the park, Let's just be honest. He might be getting a head coach job right away. You always have to account for that. But if it works, then you could hypothetically feel really good about promoting a, a Mangus. I'm getting way ahead of myself, yeah. but that that's just interesting. And then one last thing I'll say before I – because I just said that. I need to throw the caveat because I think, I think you'll find this interesting. But as, as much as I say he might be gone in a year, Jake Peets, it is interesting. I was told you know because he does have six kids that you know he told someone close to him that, hey – I have six kids. I'm not going somewhere to try to like jump up the ladder right away. Like I'm going to a job I'd like to be at. He's probably been wanting to have a little bit of that stability in his life because an NFL position coach has none of that. Exactly. So do I think he would like turn down an NFL head coaching job? Of course not. But, but yeah, I think that is actually a really good positive for LSU that he's not trying to leave right away. Anyway, I know dude. it's like, it's like, uh, (laughs) I mean, again, if we're just letting things wildly spin out of control, um, if he does end up being really good, then you may have found your kind of Brent Venables type of character where maybe he's happy to make like 2 million a year. If, and you know, if he does great, obviously, but he's happy to just get paid top coordinator money and have a little stability for that, that very large family. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. That's a real thing. And also, like, not to, like, pretend I know him better than I do because I do not know him at all. But also, like, isn't there something also to the notion of, like, if you have six kids already – you might be a kind of person who has different values. You know what I yes. mean? Like, yeah, yeah. You, if may you have not be six as kids, much like you probably like stability ambition. and old. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's like kind of worth throwing out there. Which, by the way, Marcus Freeman also has six kids, so throw that out there what? too. But uh, yeah, yes. Uh, Bruce Feldman, my colleague, pointed that out to me when we were talking for a story that if LSU hires both of them, there will be twelve kids between the two coordinators. Bro, but, we're about uh, to have the most fertile staff in America. Let's go. <laughs> and uh, DJ Mangus is young. We don't know what his ability is <laughs> like yet. Um, but anyway, yeah, back to Mangus. Yeah, I think it's a high upside move, but you're also putting, you know, very little risk if we're being honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and and I like it uh, for that regard. And again, I also like the fact that these two know each other because I, I did hear some people saying like, uh, is this a too many cooks in the kitchen? But I don't view it like that. I think Pete's is no. the head chef and Mangus is your Mangus sous chef. Mangus hasn't proven anything yet. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's the sous chef. Like it's just, it's, it's a setup that works in multiple other businesses and places of work as long as everybody knows what's what. And everybody in this case knows, uh, what is what. So. I mean, that's all I really have on the offensive hires. I'm really excited to see what they do with that quarterback room. Um, I'm excited to see. I mean, like, like I said earlier, I, and like we'll talk about, it, I think the personnel is really solid right now. Uh, do you have anything to add here before we talk about a potential hire? The guy who's visiting today, uh, Cincinnati defense coordinator Marcus Freeman. Let's do it. Okay, so. Um, this recording this on Thursday, stuff can move fast. We'll revisit if we need to afterwards. But, uh, today Marcus Freeman is in town and Brody, it's interesting. Uh, there's some similarities in that he too is very young. Uh, apparently he too has six kids, which I did not realize. <laughs> um, but I think there are some key differences between him and these other two hires. The main one being a that, lot of differences. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and he feels like, like we talked about the other guys being potential, right? Schrodinger's hire. Is it good or is it bad? Freeman feels as close to a can't miss hire as you could get. When you look at his resume, who else is after him? Um, just what he's accomplished. He looks like somebody that you, uh, desperately want like kind of like an inverse Bo Pelini. There was no market for Bo Pelini. There's a very big market for Marcus Freeman. I mean, I, I thought really hard about this and I bet there's somebody I'm forgetting and I would love you to call me out for it if I miss it, but I really can't think of another like, holy crap, rising star. Everybody knows everybody wants this guy coordinator since Dave Aranda when he came from Wisconsin to LSU. Hmm. I really can't think of another quite like that because Aranda was like, everybody was like, this dude's the truth. And Freeman's the closest thing because anyone else who's kind of like that is like a head coach guy. So I guess that is a important What about uh, who was old boy that went from Notre Dame with Jimbo, Elko? I, I don't know if he was ever like viewed that Even highly. him. I don't think he, I mean, that's a solid one. That's a good one. But I don't think Elko was quite like a, yeah. a like hype train around him. I think he was kind of a more muted name that everyone knew was good. So, yeah, I think this is a huge one, but it's going to be tough. I mean, this isn't a given. You know, with Pete's no. and Mangus, for example, I assume it was kind of a given. If LSU wanted them, was going to pay them 1.2 for Pete's, for example, which is what he's getting paid, then it's like, yeah, you assume he takes that job. Yes, and they obviously absolutely. locked it up. That, they locked it up that day, I was told. Now, with, with Marcus Freeman, Notre Dame already interviewed him earlier this week. And by the way, he's an Ohio a guy. He's a Midwest guy. Uh, I've heard Texas even, like, he's on their list for Steve Sarkeesian's staff. Like, they would love him. And Texas, and Texas did just good. hire Bo Davis today, who LSU, the rumors are swirling that he was going to be LSU's D-line <laughs> coach. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think this is going to be tough because I, I've talked about this on previous shows with you and I think even on the radio with you. But here's the thing. In a vacuum, I think from just from what I've kind of been told, if it was like Notre Dame LSU, in a vacuum, if you take out money and all that other context, I think he'd rather, he'd choose Notre Dame in that scenario. Like I do. But it's LSU. And I, I think he understands LSU could probably throw more money at him than Notre Dame can. I think he understands. And I think I understand, we all understand that when LSU puts on a full court press for a guy, it's kind of a different animal. It is. I think Texas would also be like that, to be clear. But, like, it is. It's a different thing. They can really sell people. They got Dave Aranda down here from Wisconsin, right? And it's also LSU, and you see all the pieces. But So you have that. But then you also have – LSU is an unstable place to go right now. As much as we're talking about all the positives going on right now, and they deserve to be talked about, 
LSU had a really dramatic, troubling, partially scandalous year, and yeah, the coordinator just got fired for two point three million dollars in one year. That's if you've mo- all the stock in the world, like Marcus Freeman does, who's practically like untouchable right now. Do you really want to take all that amazing stock you have and put it under Ed Ogeron? That's a that's a good question. It's a lot to ask. So well, and and, and, the, and the road to having success, I do feel, will be easier at Notre Dame. Um, I, I also believe, like, that. I mean, you don't have you're not going to have to contend with Alabama every year or Mullen in Florida. Well, Mullen's still at Florida, or, or, or it's so <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, look to me, the biggest attraction point for LSU. Is they just got them dogs, dude? What other defense are you going to inherit in the country that's going to give you Derek Stingley Jr. and Eli Ricks as your corners? And then, yeah. and, and then you think about how that creative. Line, yeah. You think about how creative. Yeah, I mean, and then you got Jaquelin Roy, B.J. Ojolari coming back along with all the senior-laden talent guys developing. Um, and as far as the safety group goes, yes, you have good recruits coming in, but I, I'm also wondering to see if the safeties aren't going to have a massive bounce back next year. If there was one common denominator in this defense, it was that everybody in the secondary, um, or I guess it's a look, most people in the secondary this year felt, felt like they took a major step back, right? Um, players that we know that we've seen play better, whether it was Mo Hampton, whether it was Cardell Flott, whether it was uh, uh, obviously Jacoby Stevens. I just... It's so hard to know where the Bo Pelini impact kind of begins and ends. So I, I, I do feel that Freeman would be working. He, he would have access to talent that he obviously never had at Cincinnati. And even at a very good school like Notre Dame, still not quite as good. Uh, I guess it's just whether or not the challenges then of having to go against Alabama and all these other schools uh, like, 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 do, do you really want to engage that, or do you go to Notre Dame, still coach a very good defense, and put up like really dominant numbers? Yeah, no, it's going to be a really fascinating situation because, and also, there's the other wrinkle that we have to throw out there that I mean, everything I've been told, I believe Brandon Seho put it out there too that he wants to be a head coach. Like, he yeah. now, as much as we say, like, kids, six kids and all that, and like, he might want to stay somewhere, like, he wants to be a head coach. And I think if a good head coach opportunity came open, like, I think he would take that. I don't know what opportunity is going to come out there right now, this late in the process, but still. So I, I do think there's a lot of things to wait where it's like, well, also, like, do we completely rule out him staying at Cincinnati and staying aligned to Luke Fickle, which is, by the way, a, a rocket ship you want to be on right now? You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be so interesting to see what he does because this isn't like Jake Beats. This is he has all the power in the scenario, and I have no actual idea what he's going to do with it. Yeah, so he's only 34 years old. He's an Ohio State linebacker from 04 to 08. Interestingly, that means – he went through one of what had to be one of the most painful college experiences ever, which is losing back-to-back national championships when they lost to Florida and LSU. Um, linebacker, I mean, he's a fast riser. Uh, he he is he's pretty much a Wunderkind, actually. I mean, he got co-defensive coordinator at 29 years old. Um, he's obviously been the Cincy DC for the last four years. If you look at the numbers from when he took over in his year one to the last three years, the turnaround is very impressive. This last season, um, Cincinnati finished top 15 in total defense scoring and rush defense. And what I love to hear, Brody, is when you hear about people that know him, um, a lot of people talk about his ability to teach. And ultimately, that's what makes a great college coach. Can you communicate responsibility? In the NFL, you don't always have to be great at that. Because uh, there's somebody smart enough that's pretty much as athletic as the guy that isn't getting it mentally, and you'll just get him. You have to work with what you have in college. And, and Dave Aranda was very good at I think, customizing, adapting, communicating, and creating a defense to fit his personnel needs. I feel like Pelini was kind of the opposite that was in the a lot of those eras. I mean, he didn't, even, he didn't even use yeah. the walkthrough room. Dave Aranda, they used to get in fights because they couldn't get Aranda out of the walkthrough room. Pelini refused to even <laughs> use it. It's 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 absurd. Uh, but again, I feel like Freeman, he would be in that room. And and I've seen some in conversation about, well, he runs like a 3-3-5, right? And you just went to four-man front. He will run, um, from what I understand, he would run whatever the personnel, whatever he viewed best suited the personnel. He's run yeah, four also man front space. Yeah, also didn't run a straight up four three. Like, yeah. these things are fluid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 every defense is going to be multiple fronts, right? We're just kind of talking about your base setup. If that I'm if sorry, that becomes right. like a four two five, if that becomes like uh, like whatever. My my point is that he's not married to any singular system. When I look at LSU's personnel, 
I do think that a four-man front as your base uh, probably behooves you because you don't have those kind of true noses anymore. Your DNs like Andre Anthony are much better suited to be hand the dirt on the edge than kind of stand-up outside linebackers. Uh, But again, Freeman is the expert, and if you get him, those would be the decisions he would make. I just want to point out that uh, I I wouldn't paint him into a corner as being like a a single-system guy. No, no, it's, I'm, I'm glad you pointed that. I didn't mean to argue you there. No, you're um, not. I mean, yeah, look, no, I think. Point. Sorry. What's that? Uh, no, I was saying I don't. I, I didn't feel like you were arguing me. I, I feel like you just helped me <laughs> kind of give further context to what I was trying to say, which uh, made a lot of sense. We do need to argue more on this show. I think it's our biggest flaw. Um, I'll check the analytics, but I think if we can set up at least one argument segment a week, I think I think we take off. The uh, yeah, I guess maybe we're a little too NPR, and we need a little more crossfire up in this bitch. Uh, ooh, Tyron Matthew just tweeted: If I'm Saints, 49ers, even Chicago, I'm all in on this Deshaun Watson news. Uh, we could take this out or whatever, but Deshaun Watson made a trade today, and I'm I'm all. Hot and bothered thinking about him in a black and gold uniform. But that's fine. We don't need to talk about that. Uh, Brody, anything else to add on Marcus Freeman? No, I think we nailed it, my dude. Okay. Well, uh, so that was your coaching discussion. Again, Jake Pizza, DJ Mangus hired as uh, offensive coordinator and passing game coordinator next. We will talk about this LSU roster, some of the opt-ins, and some of the talent that these coaches could uh, be potentially inheriting here on the Hold That Podcast podcast. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed Internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. You returned to form, or you returned to work, uh, with an article where you discuss the uh, uh, just just the, the the LSU football roster heading in to the next season. Now that you have some key opt or some key returning players. So for those that don't know, Liam Shanahan, the entire interior offensive line. So Liam Shanahan, Jason Hines, and of course Ed Ingram have all said they are going to return next year. That is huge. Dare Rosenthal and Austin Deculus are still out there. It feels like LSU may be feeling pretty bullish on those guys returning, though. Um, defensively, with the news of Glenn Logan earlier today, you now have every defensive lineman returning for next season as well. And so all of a sudden, as you pointed out, Brody, you now have 15 of your 22 starters, maybe even 17 returning for next season. So it's like the literal inverse of what you dealt with this year. Yeah, I mean, I think the the crux of what, you know, I didn't, my article wasn't that special or anything like that, but the main thing I just wanted to get across is that, like, there wasn't much hope or optimism these last few months of LSU football. Not just like, a, oh, they're losing. Like, it looked like things were getting worse. It really did. And then, like, it really looked like things could unravel, and it's been a real theme on the show the last few you know months, really, and that – but those two wins obviously were, you know, gave them a little bit of hope. And now I think right now where they're at January, they're about to make some coaching hires, which will obviously boost things even more. But the big thing is suddenly they actually there's hope and promise Fred Ogeron to sell the people who make these decisions, to sell the coaches, to sell, you know, to sell the guys are trying to hire right now. And you actually have, an, uh, how do I put this? You have a, a bolstered infrastructure. I love I love using the word infrastructure to describe college football because this past season they just didn't have it. It's the honest truth. I mean, they had only a very small amount of actually experienced players on that team. They had to rely on freshmen and sophomores, the guys who were older and experienced. Like they weren't necessarily like the best players anyway. So it was just a, a mix of like that. It wasn't the maturity, experience, the the just little nuances of knowing how to play college football. They didn't have that, and I think 
the thing that even aside before we begin to how good these players are, which I really do want to dive into like what we think of some groups, but even aside from that, it's just the idea that 15, 17, you could actually even get more if depending on how, if you want to go by like the, the final game of the season roster, you actually would be even more returning starters if I recall. But anyway, they will actually have guys who have seen some shit, been through things, who most of them are pretty good. And now we'll go into 2021 with first off a lot of experience a lot of lessons learned from that season but the promise of those last two games and then you mix that with those freshmen improving those sophomores improving uh mix it with that loaded number three national recruiting class coming in and all of a sudden it's not about just talent it's about infrastructure and it's about the idea of of mixing letting the freshmen develop but still get on the field and having seniors you can rely on so that you're not in a situation where you're you're rushed to put guys on there you don't want to or forced to put crappy seniors in there. It's a best-case scenario, and it's a long-winded answer, but it's just a way of saying suddenly there's something actually promising that if they get these hires right, there is no reason this team shouldn't be you know, 9-10 win team. Okay, so okay, so then that's, that's where I was going next. Um, what is the bar? Right. I mean, is am I am I am I crazy? Uh, I, I could just be feeling far too optimistic on this uh, beautiful Tuesday morning. But am I crazy for saying that New Year six should be the bar for this team next year? Even 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 pre hires, just in terms of returning talent, because as and we'll get into, you know, returning players is a weird metric because if the players aren't any good, then what is them returning meaning, right? And so we'll try to parse through who can have bigger impacts than the other. But just when I look at the quarterback room, when I look at stability on the lines of scrimmage, uh, and then you just look at the skill positions, dude, like that that could be a really good football team. And so all of a sudden, yeah, my head is back in that Fiesta Bowl year, the 2018 year that you love so much. I feel like it is uh, New Year Six should be the goal for LSU. I mean, I think it's genuinely fair because, okay, just I know like a lot of people are going to hear that and think like when you say New Year Six, it means something bigger, but it really means you expect to be a top 12 team in the country, right? Like yeah. in that in that realm, because if you're 11 and then you're LSU, let's be honest, they're going to find a way to get you in. Um, so, yeah, I think that's absolutely should be the expectation. It's LSU. Um, first off, if you're number 20 at LSU, I don't care what you're saying. Like, that's a disappointing year at LSU. It just yeah. is. And also, I mean, I think there's this concept, there's something to you look at the last two games of the season, a depleted, bad, you know, no reason to possibly be in those final two games, LSU team beating Florida anyway on the road, beating Ole Miss in a, you know, to me at least, a relatively kind of convincing way. You know, I, I think. That that takes that proves the point that this last season wasn't about talent. It was never about talent issues. It really wasn't. It was about a lot of far more complicated things, of course, and injuries and all that. But even with that, they won those final two games, and now you are, should be a much more experienced team, a much deeper team, a much I don't know, just kind of ready to win team. I guess is the better yeah. way to put it. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's no real excuse for them to lose, and you we always go by the big four, right? I think that's always the right way to judge a season because if you lose any of the other eight, that's always going to be a disappointment. I don't care how down LSU is. So yeah. if you there's no reason LSU shouldn't be able to win two of the big four of Alabama, A&M, Auburn, and Florida. They also could lose all four. I mean, that is always how it works. But nine and three probably gets you to New Year's six. And anything short of that feels like an absolute disappointment. It's interesting. You think Auburn is still in the big four next year? I mean, this is Ooh, a random side a tangent, right? It's but Auburn. Like, is it? Is it? Uh, I mean, yeah, exactly. And 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 Auburn's that weird team where, like, right when you think they're like done, that's when they just come <laughs> back and they like have some crazy year. But I'll be interested to see where their no, long term uh, future lies. But 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 the point stands. The point stands. That There's, almost bolsters the point, though, right? Uh, that even Auburn yeah. might not be that great. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, New Year's Six has to be the expectation. And um, I, I I will say this: when you look at how LSU kind of stabilized the situation at the end of this year uh it's it's obvious that the coaching staff maybe was not ready to handle some of the challenges of success uh but there are a few coaches better at dealing with bad situations than at Ogeron like whether it's the interim <laughs> spots uh the comeback after losing to Troy or now finding a way from three and three to five and five to a top five recruiting class to getting a bunch of senior guys to recommit to another year 
and uh, and now feeling like you could be championship relevant again. I mean, the quarterback room is in a better position than it has been in in years ever. ever really, I really, right? I yes. think it, I think it it doesn't seem crazy to me to say ever. I mean, it's the idea that first off, LSU would have been happy any time in the last fifteen years. Tell me I'm wrong to have two legitimate. To have even two guys you could feel comfortable putting in a game, right? I know there's obviously been other battles like Lee and Jefferson and things like that, but like overall, like two like actual guys you trust, it's pretty rare, right? No, I mean the only ones that I can think of off the top of my head would have been Rohan Davy and Matt Mock, and even then, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. No, but even 100%. then, like you didn't know about Mock until he had to go in. Uh, so Great you didn't necessarily it, yeah. know that you were comfortable entering the season. Uh, maybe uh, Jamarcus and Matt Flynn had a little bit of this, I where like you that. did know about Flynn. But even then, we're talking about two guys. You have a now, room full of guys that you feel bullish on. You have one legitimate key, like high tier starter. You believe in Miles Brandon. You have two guys. Who, first off, Max Johnson looks like he might be a stud when it's all said and done. But either way, probably not like net really ready to be a twelve week SEC starter. But either way, two guys who have both won you two SEC football games at Johnson and Finley, who are yep. now your second and third string. And then Garrett Nussmeyer, who again I always like to repeat, is probably the highest touted and best in theory and talent of all those four. And he is gonna, you would assume, redshirt and never have to go near the field. That is a that is a dream situation. I know this is a, a tangent here, but I love talking about it because that is what Ed Ojean has been like praying and hoping to get to is the idea that there is in theory continuity at quarterback where yeah the highly touted guy doesn't have to play till he's year three and then you have walker howard coming in the next year and then he can wait till year three or four or whatever and there's just kind of consistent development that is the dream and whether they execute it's a different question but that they are in the best situation i've ever seen them in sorry so they're no they're in the best situation talent wise at quarterback um that's why some of the coaching news that we'll get into later could be so potentially impactful. Uh, but let's talk first about the guys who have decided to return for another year of eligibility. Um, uh, re-recruitment. This idea of re-recruitment has been um, at the forefront of a lot of conversations throughout the year in terms of LSU looking to get relevant again immediately. And it it had to happen. And uh, we interviewed Coach on the radio today, and he said something interesting where, you know, he, he, he had a team meeting where – he told the guys, you know, and it's maybe sometime around signing day or something like, look, we got a lot of important recruits, blah, blah, blah. but the most important recruits are right here in this room. And that seems to be messaging that they are really hammering home. If you're first, second, third round, you got to go, go make that money. But if you're not, why not come back, try to increase? Well, we will, it seems like the team's almost making a promise when you look at the coaching change that we will put you in a better position to succeed. That is on us. We screwed up. We will get that fixed and you will have the opportunity to raise your draft stock. And then I just love the O-line story, Brody, where he literally uh, fed them fried shrimp po'boys and fries in order to, uh, as part of the pitch for getting them to come back. Because if you're talking about lubing up a decision-making process. I mean, what makes you more lubed up and ready to go than a tasty fried shrimp po'boy in your gullet? It's one of like, who has ever been saddened unless you have a shellfish allergy? Who has ever been upset by eating a delicious fried shrimp po'boy? Nobody. <laughs> and it paid off. You got the three interior guys returning. Um, what are your thoughts on Ingram Hines and Shanahan opting back? I keep wanting to say opt in. It's not opt in. Returning for another year. Just returning. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Foregoing the NFL draft. How about that? Yeah. There you um. Go. No, I mean, I think first off, Ed Ingram, you have to highlight him, right? He is the the sh pretty surprising to me home run win, arguably of every single returner because he's somebody who I don't think he had his best year, so I don't think he would have been like a first second rounder. I'm not claiming that, but. He going into the season, Dane Brugler, the athletic, our draft expert, had him I think number five of all, you know, of all guard yeah. prospects. And and Mel Kuyper just three weeks ago, I think, had him number six. You know, he's a guy with actual, you know, you would have you could have seen him go in second or third round, though. Like he's a guy with I don't know about draft. second. I was thinking, I mean, third yeah. would be his ceiling to me. But then but then with that, I, I mean, always leave a range just because you never know who's yeah. gonna impress in interviews or combine stuff and all that that's anyway. fair and i think he will run very well whenever he does all that so you would think yeah so anyway he's the the big one because that's the real like the difference is always and you know this you know this far better than i you've been around it's not about bringing back you know no disrespect to but the andre Anthony's. it's about like getting that the third round fringe guy you know even last year they couldn't yes. bring back the 
the Sadiq Charles. And that's how you really get continuity. Alabama does it pretty well. That's huge because now, first off, you have a stud guard who has every reason to be a first or second rounder if he has a good year. But more importantly, you have another guy who, you know, I hate to get corny with these things, but kind of having a guy like that come back, that is a culture shifter to some extent. That is like a buy-in thing that probably I would assume filters through the locker room of, hey, I'm here because I want to be here and you guys need to get in line because I don't have to be here, like the Terrace Marshall speech and all that. But I want to really quickly pivot before we get back to that, which I very much want to get back to that. The Poe Boy thing, I know it's silly and like we talked about at length, I think, last episode, but like it's not important, but it just reminds me of something that I think was interesting with Ed Ogeron. It's the cookie story at USC where, you know, that was also a situation where things were really bad at USC and Lane Kiffin got fired midseason. We all know that and left on the tarmac and like things were, I mean, I remember talking to Pete Jenkins about it and he was just like, things were bad in that locker room. And yeah, Lane Kiffin kept things very strict with the, you know, with the diet and all that. And like maybe they weren't allowed to eat any sweets or anything like that. And Ed Ogeron, on his first day as interim coach walks in with a, <laughs> with, with two, a cookie in each hand and says like desserts are back boys. And like, that, like little things like that actually like endeared him to the team and got like, him. we all know how that season went. They had a great year and all that. And it's just a similar thing that Ed Ogeron, when things get tough, he is good historically at knowing how to kind of shift the locker room, re-endear himself to the team, all those little things. And I don't think Shrimp Po' Boys literally got these guys back. But that little thing that Ed Ogeron might have kind of strayed away from his his strengths this season, I really think he might have. He might have got back to some frustrating traits. And I think he kind of stepped back a little bit, did little things like that, and kind of got back in some good graces. And we literally spent the month of November probably most talking about can Ed Ogeron win a locker room back? Because that was the huge question mark. Yeah. The, and and it looks like he to some extent is. Yeah, I mean, definitely when you just look at the guys opting back in. So that, that's on the offensive side of the ball. And the thing on Ingram is it's exactly what you're and saying. And we can get back to the O-line if well, you want. Well, no, it's just the thing on Ingram. And I don't think there's much to say on the well, – what is that he is that French third round guy, which means – it also, he stands to make the most money by coming back because he is someone who really could push into first round range. And then you're talking about the differences of millions of dollars. So I'm sure that's the pitch they used and it's a good pitch. Shanahan, I just love how he uh, said he's come back. Of course, used the Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not fucking leaving video. Um and that's so appropriate for him because he's someone who, you know, maybe he gets a shot at the next level, but like, I don't think that the next level's for him. So like he wants no. to squeeze as much college football as he can. He's like, you're going to have to drag my ass out of here. You're damn right. I'm coming back for another year. And then, uh, Chasen Hines, who I, you know, I'm, I'm, so it's interesting. We talk about the value of these guys coming back. Andrew Ingram's huge because he's going to be really good. Liam Shanahan is big in his own way. Not the most physically dominant player. I still think with better guard play, you can help him out a bit. But mentally, the continuity there, you don't really have any options behind him. That's where a lot of his value comes from. Jason Hyde's returning is good, Brody, but is is he the least impactful of the three? Like, is, is Hines still the starter next season? I, I wouldn't be, you know, confident. You would assume he's in the driver's seat. Sure, you know, he's a guy with, you know, however many starts to his name. Of course he should be in the driver's seat. And the thing with him is he does have so many physical tools that, like, you never can, like, completely rule out him turning a corner this offseason with that experience behind him. Like, I'm not going to rule that out. But, no, he's not a huge one. He's a guy who I think you heard the same things. Like, no, obviously he probably didn't have a good grade. But I think he was hoping to, like, go to the combine and just wow them with his athleticism. And then he got hurt to end the season, and I think that kind of went out the door. But, yeah, that's not a big one. But I'm but, gonna, but, but, I'm but gonna, everything does matter right now for that O-line, right? And I don't so, mean to say that Heinz comeback is no big deal because they just need numbers right now in that group to stabilize. Numbers. So here's my question to you, and this is where I always turn to you, is like, obviously Ingram coming back is purely just talent victory, right? But like, like we were saying, the other two aren't necessarily like game changers coming back. But here's where I always like to post you, and it's the most common question about O-line, and we'll see what happens with Rosenthal and Deculus. But even though this offensive line wasn't particularly good in 2020, how relevant do you really believe it is that that the concept of returning starters and continuity on the offensive line? Well, so I think it's really big because I don't think that the O-line was as bad as everybody thinks they were. I think they were very volatile. 
I think they were more inconsistent than anything. I think they struggled against the best teams, which is obviously not what you want. But, like, they did take care of business against the bad teams. And so it's not like this O-line is a complete train wreck. It just remains to be. They just have to do a better job of... Uh, of just performing in the bigger games next season. And so I think returning these guys helps um, to the extent of which it's maybe a bit hard to judge, right? I mean, I look at a game like, when was the two-game stretch? Maybe Alabama and A&M, where it looked like the O-line was being really manipulated from a scheme standpoint more than anything. Like, that's a very fixable problem. Um, you give these guys another year on task, I think, uh, don't discount the chemistry factor either, right? Where you play, but next to a guy long enough and you can kind of communicate without communicating. That's some of the levels that some of these guys are reaching. Um, so I'm not going to pretend like this is going to be the best O line, but I already think that people had kind of judged them overly harshly this season. And so, yeah, I, I think it's good because I don't think they have to be great. I think they just have to be good enough to allow your skill yeah. positions to shine. And I and and I think they can reach that good enough bar or do they need the tackles to return to reach that good enough bar? How are you feeling about Dare Deculus? I mean, like I said, I have been on vacation, so just full transparency. I don't have any great info to to, to give our listeners right now about that. But Rosenthal, I think I always say on the show, is just like the ultimate example of we all know how good he can be, but he hasn't shown it yet, and but you always have to wonder. It's a guy with consistent suspension issues since he's been at LSU. Sadiq Charles is the ultimate example of this, where it's like, yeah, but do you just want to get out, you know, and not come back and have to deal with like the risk of more suspensions next year? Maybe you just want to start your earning career. And you know, what's the difference between developing in college or developing in the NFL? Some people just view it that way, and I don't think it's wrong. So you never know with that, but. Like you said, it does seem like LSU is pretty bullish there. And if they bring those back, yes, that's an actual game changer. Because I do believe Dare Rosenthal with basically what, at that point, like 14 starts under his belt or 12 or something like that, could be an elite player. And we yep. know Deculus is just a reliable tackle. And and I, w- I just want to end on, I mean, you touched on something. I think that's the important way to view this offensive line. It's that, yeah, the offensive line does not need to be amazing. It's the problem was they had once the injuries happened, they needed to rely on the offensive line it's to a, yes, win. Yes, that's games. a very good point. Yeah, and they weren't good enough to win games except for South Carolina, where I would say they flat out won that game. But yeah, anyway. So I would, you, you I, I would actually, well. I would actually give them Arkansas and no, I, I think Arkansas they did not play well. That's the game where I mean, I'm not saying they played like awful, but that's the game Tyrion Davis Price had to like will his way to 3.5 yards per carry even though like everyone was in the backfield he just like got forward progress and kept putting them in third and three and then like they converted like i don't i don't think the line played well that game well um either way getting them all getting them all back me. could be could be huge uh no i'm just gonna i'm just i'm not i'm not engaging in this uh because i actually don't think you're wholly wrong either they, they, i mean they didn't play great they played well enough to win which is all you need them to do next year as well um so positive news in the O-line front. Now, more exciting in my mind is what has taken place on the defensive line because this is a group that could be really good, uh, like very, very good. You have Ali Gay returning for another season. You, of course, he can't leave, so you have B.J. Ojolari coming back, uh, which he, he could be really phenomenal. Um, even though there was some talk that maybe he was going to leave, it seems like all that's died down. You have Andre Anthony returning which is interesting, maybe not because he's the most talented, but I mean, even though he showed a ton of improvement this year, and so I want to see him build on that, but that's a big leadership win, getting Andre Anthony back. And then in the interior, you got Farrell come back. You now got Glenn Logan come back as well. So like a ton of experience. And then you combine that with like the continued development of Jacoby and Guillory. And of course, I'm a huge Jaqueline Roy guy now after the last two games, after Florida Ole Miss, where I feel like he really rounded a corner and and showed like the type of player he can be like I think Jaquelin Roy will be all conference next season I feel comfortable in saying he'll be a starter and do that with if he plays like I did like he did those last two games but I mean Brody I know you're very high on the defensive line coming into the year (laughs) so it's like how do you feel now if that same group basically returns just a year older you have to be more optimistic, right? I mean, yeah, obviously you didn't have Shelvin, but no, you have to be more optimistic because Roy is going to take. I don't like. I 
this might be dumb and overly simplistic, but no, I don't expect like Anthony Logan or even Farrell maybe to like get exponentially better with another year. I think to some small extent, when you're a senior, like you probably kind of are what you are, which by the way, all three of those guys are good football players. So I mean that in like a, not as a dig, just like a, but the big, the big thing is Roy and Ojolari, they should get exponentially better, but with another yeah. off season, like yeah. that's where you really take a leap and they already look like game changers in year one. So that's your, your, your basement's just kind of growing or your, your floor is growing, which I always think is a, a good way to look at it. I think Ollie Gay is somebody who should take a, a massive, massive leap with another year of, of just developing his body, getting more discipline, learning, you know, a new defensive line coach will probably help all those things. So I mean, his, it's his the development idea. within this year was even really good. Watching him really play good run point. defense yeah. from game one to playing run defense in the final game was uh, a stark contrast. And I do love, uh, just because it's so nice how the world works sometimes, I love how that improvement all kind of culminated in that final strip uh, fumble that, oh, yeah. that that ended the game uh, against Ole Miss. I mean, it was the technique, how he read it, how he got in on the tag, how he fought for the ball. It was everything that was not there earlier in the year. And we already know what a physical freak he is. So yeah, Gay becomes very exciting to think about with another year development. And now he's no longer green, right? Like everything we mentioned about taking all these punches in the short term, it applies to the entire team. They're no longer green. They're now going to be coming back yep. feeling like salty vets. Yeah. First off, I love that you said that about gay because it's true. I mean, we always talk like the number one thing we love talking about is guys with massive upside. Right. And we always say like, yeah, they can develop, they can develop, but like we always talk about it, but it's not that common for it to actually like, happen you know like uh, i say it's an nba guy you always fall in love with the high upside guy going like second overall but how often do they actually get where you hope they will so seeing gay who has these just insane tools actually get better by week you know whatever 10 that's the most promising thing you could ever see you know to see him actually anyway but no defensive line the thing that makes me so bullish on them is the idea that it's we both know it's all about rotating on the D-line. It's all about having a dream. Yeah. It's having six guys at least. But if you can have eight, you can really be something. Right now, they're actually at a kind of scary point where, like, I'm trying to think here. Okay, you assume Ojolari is probably, like, ahead of Anthony in next year, right? Unless they want to go with more size. I don't know. But Well, I mean, he could – He could. I I still just view Ojolari as a third down guy. I mean, may, may, maybe he gets – Even year two? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he's – a little slight. I feel like Anthony. Yeah. I mean, Anthony just feels like a very good first and second down. Uh, and even though, you know what, credit to him because he ended up getting pass rush as well. I, I, I don't know. I guess I, I don't feel comfortable making a call yet. I definitely feel like Ojolari will own third downs. That's the only thing I feel comfortable saying right now. No. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, no, good point. Um, so you have, okay. That gives you your Farrell, Logan, Anthony, gay, Ojolari, Roy, that's six. Guillory was already getting in the mix a little bit. He's your like real interior guy. That's seven. Yep. Now, then you have your freshman class coming in, and you never want to expect those guys, but you would assume at least one or two of them get in the mix. Um, and there's probably other oh uh Joseph Evans is back. That puts you at least at eight. Oh, yeah. Um what about like is Ray one. Thornton Jr. involved? Is he at outside linebacker now? I haven't heard a word about him actually, but no, yeah, he was he was a linebacker last season. Okay. But either way, you are definitively at eight legitimate guys who have like w- truly started for you and been studs for you at different points in their careers. That is the dream, and I actually think it might be closer to ten when it's all said and done. So that is an actual dream. I don't know if, what their defense is going to look like next year. I don't know the scheme or philosophy. None of us know that yet. So, but we're, whatever happens, it's never going to be a problem to have that much experience and more importantly, experience mixed with upside. That is the dream because then your ceiling's high and your floor is high. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably like, wow, they feel so optimistic today. But I mean, I just, I think objectively speaking, we've always been very objective when things look bad. We've called it like that. But where you sit today, things actually potentially look really good. Now, and now you still have to jump in. Yeah, yeah, go. And, and and I think the best way to put it is we're not just talking about the good. It's the idea that the bad right now feels minimized because first off, like we said, it might be 17 starters back. So that's always a positive. But I mean, if you really look at the 2020 roster, okay, first of all, we should lead off with Eric Gilbert. He's sounds like he's leaving most likely else. You still absolutely trying behind the scenes to get him back. But let's yeah. assume he's leaving. That's a huge loss. I don't want to undersell that. That's like a massive, holy crap loss. But if you look everywhere else in this roster, 
what loss is really deeply hurting them? Yeah. Jabril Cox stings, no doubt about it. But linebacker was kind of a weakness anyway. So regardless, there's only room for growth. And then Jacoby Stevens leaving again. I have all the respect in the world for Jacoby Stevens, but I don't think he had an excellent year or anything like that. So the losses right now do not feel damning at all. So all of a sudden, it's just like... I don't even see a possible scenario where this team doesn't get much, much better. So that's the thing. It's not just about the good. It's how the bad feels so minimal. Well, that'll do it for us uh, this week on the Hold That Pockets podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. Again, theathletic.com slash hold that podcast for all the great sign-up deals also helps us out. Uh, Brody, tell everybody where they can find your work here on the way out. Yeah, follow me on at Brody and Miller on Twitter and subscribe to The Athletic for a discount at theathletic.com slash hold that podcast where you can see mine and a massive arsenal of writers uh, work. Yep, and I am, uh, it is, and it's ad-free. It's awesome. It's very worth it. I am at tbob53 on Twitter, uh, also on chess.com. I am at tbob53. <laughs> Feel free to challenge me. I get such a kick out of your random screenshots, by the way, of just like uh, like stacked bishops or whatever you call yeah, them. <laughs> the bishop pair. Uh, that was a yeah, good yeah. checkmate. The One of the other ones I put out there was probably, uh, I, I had a couple of people who are good at chess hit me up and like, this is the ugliest, most nonsensical, stupid <laughs> game I've, I've i've seen in a long time um, well that's why i love your post because you're somebody who like admittedly is brand new to chess but you still have the utter confidence to be like look what i did guys well no <laughs> I, I mean dude, I it, it, that, that, that bad checkmate it's it is beautiful in its absurdity <laughs> like it when you see it you're like how did this even come about how was it not stopped it, it's it's chess is great um so this is the whole that podcast podcast and we will be uh back after the some more official news, whenever that may be. The off-season schedule is a little less rigid than the others. Uh, but yeah, subscribe to the Atlantic. Oh, and buy your meats at A Bear Specialty Meats. Okay, okay. Y'all have a great day, and we'll see you next time.